you've got your hand out with you this morning. It's be a good time to take it out. There's an insert inside with just some scriptures, an opportunity for us to uh, dig in together, to um, understand more about God, about more about God's word. I love this time of year because uh, as we head toward a celebration on the calendar in April that's Easter, it's always good and always fun, and we do this as a regular thing as a church, just to focus on Jesus, just a, a life of Christ, just dig into what God's Word says about Jesus. And this is the beginning of that. So I encourage you, the next few weeks, we're going to talk about finding Jesus, but not just finding Jesus, finding Jesus, finding me. That doesn't mean I'm finding myself. That means as I learn more about Jesus Christ, I begin to learn who I am, what I'm about, what he's made me to be. It's finding Jesus that identifies my personhood, who I am. And today we're zeroing in on the sonship of Jesus, on who he was as a person, on what his character, his titles encapsulate, and then how that applies to you and to, to me in our lives. You know, our world is in a identity crisis. You know, many, many, especially our young people, they struggle. Who are they? Where have they come from? What are they about? And our world's not very good at giving them answers to that. I think that's the heart, that's the essence of our, of our suicide escalation, is kids, young people not understanding who they are, how God made them. And how he values them. So a lot of what we're doing in our, in our youth program these days is focusing in on our identity. And one of the key things is, I am a child of God. If kids get that, their identity is made up from who they are in, in Christ, that it will solve much of the problem that we find ourselves in today. So as we, uh, as, we, as we dig into this today, let's talk about Jesus first and ourselves second. Does that make sense? So jot this down, if you would, as we think about finding Jesus. We're going to talk about these phrases here, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's take that apart a little bit, because it comes from the beginning of the book of Mark. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As Mark writes out his gospel, he starts out this way. He, he's one of these guys that's just no frills, no um, extras. He's like, it's right to the point, okay? He'd be like the guy who uh, gets on the golf course, sticks his tee in, puts his ball on, and, and hits it down the fairway. He wouldn't be doing one of those studying it all and throwing grass up in the air and faking a swing or two. He was like a no-nonsense writer, and he just zoom, zips right into it. In fact, here's what he says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I underline that because that's our focus today. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In a way, it's those four things. Jesus, the Christ, Son of God. As it's written by Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. That's John the Baptist. Who will prepare the way, a voice, one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way for the Lord. That's actually a, 
additional phrase that we're not talking about today with those four, but uh, make way the Lord, the way for the Lord, and make his paths straight. You see, when you get down to it, Jesus means the rescuer, the thing we just sang about. Jesus means the savior, the one who saves, jot that down, or the one who helps. (laughs) Anybody here this morning need some help? (laughs) Jesus is only there for those who know they need help, okay? But he is there for anyone who knows they need help. I mean, that's part of the key lesson for us. When Mary was told what to name Jesus, when Mary was told what title, what name to give him, said, you shall call his name Jesus, and here's the rest of the phrase, for he shall save his people from their sins. The word Jesus means the saving one. The word Jesus means the one who saves or who helps. Okay? Now, Jesus was a pretty popular name at the time that Jesus touched down on the earth. It'd be like... um, Maybe in the Spanish world today, you hear a lot of people called Jesus. You know, it was just a popular name. It was just people called. Because often that was the case with, with Jesus. Actually, um, from the Old Testament, Hebrew word Joshua. Joshua means Yahweh saves. And if you transliterate that into Aramaic, into Greek, you would say Jesus. 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 So this name, Jesus, he's the one who saves. Remember, Jesus knew about his identity, even as a 12-year-old young man. They, looked after, they were looking out for him, and they found him in the temple, conversing with the leaders, and he said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? And what's the father's business? The father's business from time immemorial was to rescue us, was to give us help, not to leave us helpless, but instead to fill our lives with all the provision, just what Chuck was just talking about, all the blessing that we need. That's the Father's business. And that's what Jesus came to link together, what we need and how we need it. Jesus means God saves. Let's take the second portion of that. Sometimes people call it Jesus' last name. It isn't. It's actually his title. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. The Christ. Christ means the Messiah. In the Old Testament, we would say Mashiach, the Messiah. He was the one that God had pointed to how he was going to rescue from the earliest time. Remember, way back in the Garden of Eden, God predicted that there would be a time where the evil one would be bruised on the head and the evil one would bruise the son's heel. And he predicted that there would be a savior. There would be a Messiah. And so from that time all the way forward, every so often you would hear this picture of there's coming one. There's the coming one. 17 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his first coming that were predicted and predicted and predicted through the Old Testament that there would be a Messiah. Another word for Christ Another meaning is anointed one. Remember when uh, Nathaniel the prophet went to pick out the, the next king and he picked David and he anointed his head with oil and he anointed him as the 
soon coming, the one to be king. That's the word here, Christos. That's the word we get for Christ. He's the anointed one. Remember this climax of uh, Jesus' time with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi? He, he began asking them, who do men say that I am? I mean, Jesus didn't have an identity crisis, but he wanted to know if they knew who he was. So he said, who do those people, who does the world, who do people out there say I am? They said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So then Jesus kind of riveted into their, their mind. He said, so who do you say that I am? What identity have you picked up from me that's the most central and most vital? Who do you say that I am? Peter's response. Catch it right there. Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. You got it. That's who Jesus was. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. Are you catching that? The Christ. You know, often, almost always, when we baptize someone here in our, in our church family, they become Christians. We ask them to repeat that. We call it the great or good confession. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Notice it's not a dead God. <laughs> it's not a past God. It's the eternally, ever-living God. And as they make that confession, it's not about so much just about confessing it, it's about believing it to the extent that you live it out. God said that he would help, and he chose the way to help through the Messiah. See, see here's the neat thing about it. Even the title and the name for Jesus have hope. Even the name of Jesus has promise in it. We know where our help comes from, and we know the Messiah has come in Jesus the Christ. He is the way to God. He is the answer. Now, a lot of people use those two phrases together as swear words, don't they? Jesus Christ. You'll hear someone say blaspheming, you know. Um, it happens a lot in our culture. Maybe, maybe you've heard it before. Has anybody heard it? Okay, okay. Sometimes I like to go up to people who happen to have that as an expression they use a lot. Sometimes it's fun to go to them with the real meaning and say, you know him too? <laughs> you know, they get even more upset maybe, you know. They've smashed their thumb or they've you know, locked their keys in their car or something like that and they're just stomping around and saying Jesus' name. Well, what do you want him to rescue you from right now? I'll often say that. You know, I'm kind of obnoxious, so I get away with it. What do you want him to rescue you from right now? Sometimes it actually opens the door for a conversation about the real meaning. Because when people are just punctuating their sentences with it, they're not really thinking about it, probably. It's just they've learned to say it. And it's interesting that when the world wants to discount the name of Jesus or use it as a punctuation point, we in the body of Christ are here just to do the exact opposite. We are here to elevate, accentuate, and celebrate. Celebrate the name of who God sent to be our, our Savior. Who do you say that he is? Who is Jesus to you? 
If you were to answer that question for Jesus, would it be like he said to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, it is in his name. Let's take the last one here. The Son of God. The Son of God. We want to dwell on this one a little bit because we're talking about here relationship. Jot that down. Relationship. This is the, uh, uh, something else we get to know about who Jesus is. He is the Savior, Jesus. He is the Messiah, Christ. And he is the Son of God. Now, we understand the son idea because of our parent role sometimes. Now, I am the firstborn son of Robert Grant Sanders, my dad. Now, he had my sister before me, so he was made a father by my sister, but he was made a father of a son by me, okay? I understand that. Same thing happened with my family. My daughter, Bethany, made me a father but my son Bryce made me a father of a son. We understand father and sonship because it kind of goes here. So here we're talking about Jesus, the son of God. It's similar, but not exactly the same. In fact, uh, one of the interesting things about Robert Grant Sanders, my dad, and Bruce Grant Sanders, and Bryce Grant Sanders, I don't know why we kept doing that, but... Uh, and it carried on the tradition. The problem was there's only one letter difference between Bryce Grant Sanders and Bruce Grant Sanders. And the postmen really get mixed up. We're always getting each other's mail and, uh, you know, stuff like that. It, it, it was probably a mistake in the long. We put it, probably should have put something else in there. But uh, what's interesting is we resemble each other, but we're not the exact representation of each other. That's one thing that's different about fathers on earth and sons. Fathers on earth and their sons. Now you can hold a picture of my dad up when he was 60 years old and you can see the comparison. And the older I get, the more I look like him. Okay? You can hold my son's picture up and say, poor Bryce. You know? <laughs> you know, because what happens, we tend to resemble you know, there's a representation. It's not exact, praise God, <laughs> but there's a resemblance that happens. Now, what we're talking about here is Jesus was the exact representation. I mentioned earlier that he said, I must be about my father's business. From day one, he understood that he had a mission, he had a plan, and God was going to use him in a vital and dynamic way. Now, for us, sometimes we'll use this word son of in, in a variety of ways. For instance, in the um, book of Acts, there's a guy, his name is Joseph. His real name is Joseph, but his nickname is Barnabas. Have you heard of Barnabas? Barnabas. And his name means, Barnabas means son of encouragement. Okay? So even though his name was Joseph... He was called son of encouragement because his person, his character embodied encouragement. He was encouraging through and through. Everything he did was encouraging. What if God, what if somebody said that about us? 
I want to be that. I want to be an encourager. You know? Jesus used a similar phrase when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So that doesn't mean we're the same kind of sons of God like Jesus is. It's more that we embody the character and we are uh, in some ways made similar. See, here's what's different. God the Father was never without God the Son. Okay? The day Jesus was born in Bethlehem did not make God the Father, God the Father, pre-existing his earthly life. God was Father, Son, and Spirit. See, God was eternally the Father, and he was eternally the Son. Now, that's hard for us to grasp, isn't it? But that's the difference between our understanding of fathers and sons and God's position as the eternal Father and Son. Jesus was eternally existent as a son. He showed us everything we need to to know about God. Here's, Here's the phrase. Jesus is everything of God in flesh. Jesus is everything that God is encapsulated in human form, in flesh. One day they talk, we're talking with Jesus in John chapter 14. And the description of who Jesus was was at play. And they were talking about the centrality of Jesus, the Son of God. Here's how he said it. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The access to the Father was directed through the Son. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. See, if if you're asking yourself today, how can I get closer to God? How can I grow in my relationship with God? God's invisible. It's hard to get to know him. But through Jesus, through Jesus Christ, you can get to know the Father in every detail. You get to know who he is, what he's like, what he values, who he loves, and how much he loves. You can know God the Father through knowing Jesus the Son. Look what he says. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, no one would say that about me and my dad. No one would say that about me and my son. There's enough difference to say that doesn't fit. But when it comes to God and his son Jesus, God the Father and his son Jesus, he says, I am the exact representation. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? <laughs> Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me. Everything I say, everything I do, I am the Father is in me, at least believe uh, the evidence that is shown to you. I think it's Colossians chapter 2 that says, everything that is in God is in the Son. Everything that's in God, the Father, is found in His Son, His Son Jesus. Let me use one more verse here, because I just love this one. This is from Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. 
But in these last days, what's he spoken to us? How's he spoken to us? He has spoken to us by his son. You see, the primary way God has chosen to reveal himself is one and only through his son. Now, Jesus is called the only begotten son. We're going to talk later about how we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, but we're not the only begotten sons and daughters. We're adopted sons and daughters. Here he says, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Remember I said he's pre-existent? He predates his coming to earth. He was here at the creation of the universe. The sun is the... No, catch this, catch this, catch this. The sun is the radiance of his glory. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. I mean, there's no question in this anymore. It's not, well, he kind of resembles God the Father. No, he is the exact representation. You know Jesus, you know the Father. You love Jesus, you love the Father. He's so appointed Jesus to be the exact representation that you don't have to have any question about how do I come to God? One way, through Jesus. Sustaining all things by the, his powerful word, he's provided purification for our sins, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, the majesty in heaven. If you want to get to know God, <laughs> get to know Jesus. Focus your attention on Jesus. That's what we're doing for these next few weeks. We're going to look at Jesus' temptation. We're going to look at Jesus' baptism. We're going to look at Jesus' suffering. We're going to look at Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection and say, how does that apply? How is there an application for me in my life? How does it make a difference? Well, who agrees with this? I mean, I'm not just asking for hands, but you know, think about it for a minute. This is the crux of the matter. Who is Jesus and who is Jesus to you? Is he Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, who agrees with that? Well, a couple of things. Let me, let me think with you about that for a minute. First of all, every believer in the New Testament agrees with that. You don't find any believers in the New Testament that don't say, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, God the Father has even stated such. Remember when Jesus was baptized? John the Baptist was in the river, and as he's laying Jesus down into the water and bringing him back up out of the water, the heavens parted. We talked about this yesterday, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The heavens parted, and a voice from heaven, the Father's voice said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. He said, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I mean, not only does every person in the New Testament agree with who Jesus is, a voice, some, of, some people would say, you know, if I ever heard a voice from heaven, it'd be a lot easier to believe. Duh! We've got a voice from heaven. All the people on the shore, John the Baptist and the son, all heard the voice say, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I'm well pleased in him. You know, real quick, I got to say, though, it's not just a voice from heaven that agrees with this statement. There's lots of voices from hell that agree with this statement. 
often, almost every time, that Jesus cast out demons from people, the demons confessed who Jesus was. Oh, and they didn't do it with delight and joy like we would do it. They did it with terror. They did it with fright. They did it with dismay. You are the son of God. And they ran as they were cast into the swine and, and headed off a cliff. You know? so, so it's not just a voice from heaven. It's many voices from hell. Here's the thing I love. Heaven and hell agree on one thing. Who Jesus is and what he's done. Yeah. There is no question every person in hell, every demon in hell, the evil one himself knows as much as heaven itself of who Jesus is. The question is, do they put their faith, their trust, their love in him? Can I get one more? Jesus himself is the one who stated it. Remember when he was on trial and the, um, the Roman leader says, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? He says, the son of the living God. What does Jesus say? Yeah, yeah. He could have avoided it. He could have said anything, but you know what he said? He used the Old Testament phrase that goes clear back to Moses, I am. He declared his, his, his nature as Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's what got him hung. That's what got him killed. That's what got him hung on the cross. He said who he was, and his identity was a threat to all those that were around him. Oh, I'm thinking of one more. Can I, can I just give you one more? So you got, you got heaven, you got hell, you got Jesus. I'm thinking about every true believer. Every true believer. It's kind of like that Roman centurion. You know, he's at the base of the cross, and as he looks up and watches Jesus' life ebb out from, from him, and he watches this cataclysmic, these cataclysmic events happen around him, he goes, truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are. And we would add the phrase, you are the Son of the living God. A Roman centurion who's probably jaded by watching day after day these uh, crucifixions, he says, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So let's turn a page. It's actually on the right hand of your, your notes there. Let's look at how that applies and focuses on me, on us. I mean, every message that we've got in this series isn't just about theology and thinking right about Jesus. It's thinking right about Jesus as it applies to me. Jesus said, no longer are we slaves to fear. In fact, Jesus said, I don't call you slaves. He said, I call you friends. So that's what you really are. In fact, here's the uh, identity that I want to focus on. We are adopted children. There's a young family in our church here that uh, right now, today, they've flown to the Midwest to pick up a, 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 a little guy to bring him back because they are adopting him into their family. Praise God. We, we, we already had Josh and Rachel who had a, a born baby this week, little Maximus Octavius. Maximus Octavius is his name. And, uh, and they didn't know whether it was a boy or a girl until they had him this, this week. And uh, 
as births or adoptions take place, I want you to think about adoption for a minute. Now, my, my, my family has primarily grown because of adoption. You know, I've got seven siblings, four of which came through foster care and adoption. Okay? The majority of my siblings were from adoption. And then their kids, so my nieces and nephews, you know, three, three quarters of my nieces and nephews came through adoption. So adoption's very, very special, very, very close to my heart and to me. I remember the day when my little sister was um, able to turn from foster care to we could adopt her. My parents came down, got special permission from a judge in Olympia. We lived in Tacoma. And they came home and they said, guess what? We get to adopt her. You know, there was this chosen feeling and we just had the biggest celebration. You know, because we were adopting. That's the phrase. That's the term. That's the uh, relationship focus that God gives to you and to me in his kingdom. He calls us adopted children. We're not firstborn. We're not, we're not only begotten sons of God, but we are children of God nonetheless. In fact, that's the focus here. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. <laughs> They're not related. In fear again, to, to live fear again, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, your adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Jot down beside your, your phrase there if you want. That's the word we would call daddy. We would say daddy, Abba, Father. It's the word Jesus used when he uh, had the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, it's Abba. He said, Daddy. We do better to pray to Daddy, our Father that has adopted us. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. See, if we are adopted children of God, he calls us to these relationships. I just picked out a quick two-minute clip about some Good adoptions. Now, we, we make it a formal ceremony. In some cases, we sign papers and make it because there's a legality to it. But uh, it's so much more, isn't it? It's so much more. When God calls us his adopted children, and he says, you can call me Daddy. You can call me daddy. You know? Sometimes in, um, in, in marriage situations, so I've got two daughters that are married, so I've got two sons-in-laws. I've got a son who's married, so I have a daughter-in-law. And sometimes they ask, well, so what, what do you want me to call you? <laughs> you know, well, call me a holy right reverend Pastor Bruce Sanders. <laughs> yeah, right. You know me, you kind of go, nah, call me dad. I mean, that, that's the word to me. That's the word of honor. And I would just as soon adopt those in-laws as my own kids. Call me dad. What a precious relationship. And that's the point he's getting at here. He wants you to be close. He wants you to not just be legally his. He wants you to be emotionally, provisionally, inheritance-wise his. In fact, catch these three things. Jot these down real quick. 
They come right out of the text. You are adopted children. You have all the rights and privileges of birth children when you're adopted. You know, sometimes that, 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 that torques off the uh, birth children because their inheritance is split when a parent adopts. You know, not in our case. In our case, we just celebrated. You know, but you are heirs of God. We're talking about God here who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who owns the gold in every mine, who everything is his. Guess what, folks? When you're his child, there's nothing outside the realm of what he wouldn't provide and desires to provide for you. In fact, he calls us co-heirs with Christ. So all the glory and honor and privilege and blessing and, and relationship that Jesus Christ the Son has, he says, I'm going to bestow that on my other children. I'm going to give that to all of you as well. You get to be children of the Most High God. And in a way, our inheritance is Jesus. We're not just co-heirs to inherit what he's got. We're co-heirs to experience who he is. We get to have, have him as our inheritance. Remember when your uh, kids are real little and you come home from a trip, you maybe been gone for a while, and you come, come home, maybe you get picked up at the airport, and the kids are like, did you bring me something? Did you bring me something? And then later in life, when you're older and they pick you up from the airport, they don't even ask, did you bring me something? They just are glad you're home. It's like you're the gift <laughs> for the moment, <laughs> you know? And that's the point here. We are co-heirs with Christ. He is the inheritance that we get to, to enjoy. Let's go real quick through this one. We not only have a relationship, adopted children, co-heirs with Christ, we have a title. You know what your title is? The same as Jesus Christ. The Christ, your title is the Christian. It's the same word. <laughs> Jesus, the Christ, and you and I as Christians, where's that word come from? Christ. The anointed ones. That's what Christian means. He's the anointed one, and you're the anointed ones. What do you mean we're anointed? We're anointed with his Holy Spirit. We're anointed with his presence, his leadership, his guidance, his direction. You're anointed, brothers and sisters. You are Christians. Now, first was used as a title against them. It was a derogatory term. Pfft, those Christians, those little Christs. I mean, that's how they looked at it. Those baby Christs that are out there that just believe in Jesus the Christ. And then they began to wear it with honor. You're calling me a little Christ? I'll take it. I'll take it as an honor. If you call me one of his followers, I'll take it. In fact, here's what the uh, King Agrippa said. He says, you've almost persuaded me to become one of those, to become a Christian. You know, eventually, we think maybe Agrippa did, after Paul's uh, death, become a Christian. First Peter says it this way, if you suffer as a, what? Christian. So, so wait a minute, can we suffer as a Christian? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus Christ suffered and those who bear his name suffered. Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. We are anointed ones. Now let's just go one more here to the roles. 
And I'm just going to jot these down real quick. Let me read this verse real quick. One of my favorite, one of my favorite verses. All of uh, this is a gift from God, 2 Corinthians 5, who brought us back to himself through Christ. Circle Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ. Key word there, in Christ. Key word there, in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Underline that. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God. Please come back to God. Won't you please come back to God? For God made Christ who knew no sin or who never sinned to be the sin offering for our sin so that we could be made right through God, uh, with God through Christ. That wraps it up. That, that sums it up right there. Jot those three things down. We are the family representative. When people see us, they should see a representation. Just like son of encouragement, we should see the character of an encourager. When we're Christians, when we're Christ's ones, they should see the family representation. We are ambassadors. Here's that key verse. We are the legal and formal and regular representation of who God is on earth. We are to establish his kingdom here on earth. What's that prayer Jesus taught us to pray? On earth as it is in heaven. We're the ambassadors to bring heaven to earth. Heaven to earth. And lastly, we are the inviters and the includers. What's the phrase? I love this. Come back to God. People who are far away from God, who's going to call them back? You and me. We are. Who's going to invite and include? Now, this is tough in our culture. This is tough in our county. This may be the, one of the most challenging things for us is to open our mouths and to invite people. Have you ever said that to someone? Have you ever used that phrase? Come back to God. That's the essence of repentance. Come back. Come back. God still loves you. Don't be distant. It's like the, the, the prodigal son who was far away in a distant land. And it's like his dad was saying, come back. And eventually it got through. We should be like that dad saying, come back to God. Come back. By the way, this is the most potent season for inviting and including people of, of any time on the calendar. March, April... March and April are the most opportune time for inviting and including people and using even our worship services and our, our children's program and those to bring people back. Bring people back to God. Is there someone on your heart, someone on your mind that you should be inviting and including and saying that very phrase? Come back. God loves you. Come back. Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. Jesus has called us to be adopted children, Christians, 
like the Christ, and he's called us to be those who would help. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us the way that you have, the way that you do. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for, as this verse we've just read talks about, that he is the, 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 the one who knew no sin but has become sin so that we could be forgiven. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for calling us your children. Thank you for making us your own and allowing us this huge purpose for reaching out to others. We ask that this would be a productive and, and, and useful time for us as we, as we strive to see your love extended, to see your gospel explored by others, to see that phrase, come back to God, used over and over and over again. Thank you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.